All right, I'm, uh, I've asked our kids' ministry uh, leader, who also happens to be my wife, Nicole, uh, to join me on stage this morning. Right now we're in a sermon series on our story, and I wanted her to tell a little bit of her story, but also share her heart uh, for our kids' ministry, why what we're doing this morning um, is just kind of a glimpse of what we do every week. Uh, and right now there are kids' ministry volunteers who are with us because the kids they normally minister to are in uh, the service with us, but there are also kids' ministry volunteers who are still serving this morning, who are serving in our nursery or serving with special needs children that uh, aren't able to be with us this, this morning in the worship gathering. And there are people every Sunday that when we're here, they're ministering to these children. And I want you to kind of hear what the heartbeat uh, is behind that. So, Nicole, uh, what's, what's your heartbeat for Faith Kids and our kids' ministry? Okay, well, you mentioned our mission statement at the beginning of the service which once again I'll reiterate, is we are building the church, our friends and family will join, and our children will one day lead. That is our mission. We are raising the next generation now. Um, we want to partner alongside of you parents in raising your children. Um, I've got some news for you, Karen. It's not the church's responsibility solely. Do a little math there's 168 hours in a week you maybe have your child one hour a week maybe two it's it can't just be the church it is your responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in your home um go back to the book of genesis god created the world adam eve he said be fruitful and multiply he created a home the home is the first institution in the bible and that's where children should be taught about God and his word, about what is right and wrong, um, a biblical worldview. And like I said, we want to partner with you and we want to help you, but it has to start in the home. We need strong dads to be spiritual leaders in the home. Um, statistics show over and over again that fathers who take their children to church, the greater longevity of your child remaining in church when they're past the age of you taking them, the statistics show that the greater chance of them staying in church. We need strong dads. We need strong parents to be spiritual leaders in the home. We want to partner with you. We want to help you. We want to give you the tools. We want to equip you. But it has to start at home, Mom and Dad. Yeah, so that's something that's near and dear to our heart. Uh, but we can't do it alone. We need to partner uh, with you. And you can tell this is something that Nicole's pretty passionate about. Um, so why is that so near and dear to your heart? Okay, well, studies also show that 83% of Christians come to know Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. So obviously we know adults that come to know Christ, but um, the, the better chances of them coming to know the <coughs> Lord happens at a younger age. Um, we want the kids to grow up, to, you know, have a relationship with God, have their sins forgiven. We want them to follow God. Um, I'll be honest, I was the kid who went to church. You know, the kids up here, um, that was me. I was raised in church. Um, I don't remember, obviously, being at church as a two-month-old or a two-year-old. But as I got older, obviously, those patterns were already there for me when church um, and we 
school to take them to church. Um, if there was Sunday school, we were there. If there was a revival, we were there. I remember in fifth grade, I played um, field hockey for um, the city league. And the coach had a practice on Wednesday night. Dad said, tell the coach you're leaving early. We got church tonight. Okay, you know. And I told the coach, well, I gotta leave early. We got church tonight. You would have thought I had three heads. I mean, it was like church Wednesday. But we went to church. Sports were not more important than church. Um, when we went on vacations, we found a church to go to on Sunday. If you went to church while you were in town, why not go to church where you're out of town? I mean, we went to church, and so um, I was raised in church. Haven was born on a Tuesday. The following Wednesday, she was in church. You all remember that. Now, Lincoln, he was born on a church day, so we did have to miss church to have him. But the following week, we were at church. And now my kids won't remember that, but um, Daniel tells the kids all the time, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. Right. Yeah. Um, so your parents took you to church, mm -hmm. and so did mine. <laughs> and that's where we met. Um, but we know a lot of people who attended church as a child uh, who don't follow Jesus today. Uh, what do you think made the difference? Um, so, I mean, like I said, I, I was brought up in church. Um, I, I also went to a Christian school. So um, between Sunday school lessons and my Bible classes, I, I knew the stories of the Bible. And um, I had a head knowledge of the scriptures, you know, what is sin, who has sin, how do we go to heaven, who does not, you know, I could answer all those questions, and I knew it in my head, but I didn't have it in my heart, and probably it was about nine or ten years old, I, I really kind of struggled with that, because it was like, well, you know all the things to say to answer that, but you can't recall the time of your life, um, pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And I, I really wrestled with that um, for a few months. And it was like, no, you're saved. You know the answers. And But I, I still just kept struggling with that. And um, I finally, um, you know, I was so spiritual that, you know, I kind of prayed this way. God, forgive me of all of my sins because, you know, I want to go to heaven. But it wasn't. It was very generic. It obviously didn't mean anything. So, and I, I still just didn't have peace. And finally, I remember I was about 10 years old, laying in bed, and it was like, I'm going to just surrender my life to the Lord, pray and ask God, forgive me my sins. Um, and, and even as a 10-year-old child, I remember just kind of that, that relief inside of me. Um, hmm. Obviously, as a 10-year-old child, I would not commit heinous things, you know, I mean, but I had lied. I had disobeyed my parents. I had bad attitudes. I was stubborn. You know, I was mean to people. I, I know all those shock you, but, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I hadn't done these heinous things, but I was still a sinner. I still needed to be forgiven of my sins, and I needed a Savior. Um, then, obviously, as I grew in church and at the Christian school and things, um, I had youth pastors pouring into me as well as my parents and teachers, good Christian friends, you know. And it was um, making it my own. Well, come make sure you're in God's word. Are you praying? Um, you know, your parents, oh, what did you learn at church today? What, what, what does that speak into you about in this scripture? Those kind of things. And so 
you know, developing me to to develop those patterns, to find out what God's will for my life was. Yeah. And um, I think that's what made the difference. You know, it, it couldn't just be that head knowledge. It had to be that heart knowledge. It had to be that relationship um, with God. Yeah, yeah. So right now, uh, we're in a sermon series um, titled My Story, and we're sharing testimonies of people whose lives, that God's changed their life, done a powerful work in their life. Um, you said, you know, when you came to know Jesus, you were 10 years old. Um, you weren't a drug addict. Um, you didn't have a problem with alcohol. Uh, and sometimes people feel like if I don't have that element of, to my story, it's not a powerful testimony. Um, but what we want for the children here at our church is for them to have a testimony where they don't have to experience those things. Um, so what makes a testimony like yours compelling? She didn't want to have to go through all those things. And God was faithful to me, um, even as a small child. And I'm, to me, I want to just encourage you. You are not the only one that's doing it right. Yeah. There's many people who've gone before you who will go after you that will make right choices. I know temptation is hard and peer pressure is hard, but you can do the right things. Um, you know, you don't have to experience sin to know how deep it will take you, you know. Um, we want to shelter you from those things. Um, we want you to look to God at a young age and be an example. Um, um, and I encourage you to do right. I mean, like I said, I had good, you know, I, I honestly had good parents. I had good church um, to encourage me to do the right things and to follow God. I had good friends. I had great friends that helped me to do right. And um, I had a good boyfriend. You know? She sure did. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he loved I God. ran that guy off and dated her, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, he loved God and he wanted to follow God. And so th there wasn't those pressures there, you know. And, you know, temptation's going to come. But, you know, surround yourself with good. Christian people who will encourage you to do the right things and will help you so you aren't faced with those temptations. Um, I encourage everybody here today, if you don't know the Lord or if you just have a head knowledge, you know, you can't remember a time praying and asking God to forgive you of your sins. Do that today. Yeah. You know, don't be too late. You need your story. You need your testimony. Maybe you can relate to my story. Everybody can relate to somebody's story. I can't put myself in Amy's shoes, but she can help other people. But um, but we all have a Savior. We all need a Savior. We all need to be forgiven of our sins no matter what age. And God's faithful and good. He'll help you get there. Amen. Yeah. So whether you grew up in church or you didn't, uh, the answer is still the same. You need Jesus in your life. And it's our prayer for the children we've helped today and the children we minister to every every week. They, they come to know that Savior. 
I want to say a big thank you to Nicole being willing to do this. This is definitely outside her comfort zone. And <laughs> I also want to say thank you to all of our kids' ministry volunteers. I know some of them can't be in here, but if you are here today and you volunteer, you serve in our kids' ministry, would you please stand? And so we can just say a big thank you. Thank you. So if you would, join me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's going to be our passage of scripture today. Uh, and we're going to look at the testimony of someone's life who, similar to Nicole, um, had a heritage, had a legacy of faith. We've been looking at the testimonies of Paul, and Paul didn't have children to pass his faith down to. He didn't have a family. But what we see in scripture is that he had spiritual sons and daughters people that he had poured himself into, people whose lives had been changed, who would lead churches that he had planted. And the, the passage of Scripture where you're turning today, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's on page 826 in your pew Bible, um, it's a letter to one of his spiritual sons. He's writing to him. And he's writing to this spiritual son who he had trained, who had been in his, his apprentice, but had been trained up before Paul entered Timothy's life by his mother and his grandmother. Uh, boys and girls in the service right now, raise your hand, boys and girls, if you came to church with mom or dad today. Can you raise your hand? All right, good deal. Yeah. Boys and girls, raise your hand if you came to church with grandma or grandpa today. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the young man that Paul is writing to, he was raised up in the faith by his mother and his grandmother. And Paul writing to him... Uh, he, he is encouraging him, and he's remembering how those people poured into Timothy's life. So look with me, if you would, at chapter 1 and verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and unto us in Christ Jesus before time began. Are you familiar with a relay race? You know how that works? I'm afraid that some of you don't know how it works, so I'm gonna, uh, we're going to illustrate it for you. If I can get Josh and Lincoln uh, to come up here uh, with me real quick, and I want to show everyone in the congregation what a relay race looks like, and I'm going to tell you to do something that my dad forbade me from ever doing. I'm going to have you run in church, okay? <laughs> so what's going to happen is Lincoln is going to run the first lap around the sanctuary. You'll go around, come back around here. You're going to carry this baton, and when you come back, you'll hand the baton to Josh. He'll then run the second lap, all right? Okay? All right, so stand right here. Josh, you be ready to take the baton when he comes back around. On your mark, get set, go. So a relay race 
is very dependent upon, one, the speed of the runners, but also this transition that's coming up here in a moment, right? When it is passed from one runner to the other. In the USA, there have been multiple times that we've had the fastest runners in the relay race, but we've lost. Because when it comes time to pass that baton, for it to make the transition, it's dropped. Great job, boys. You can go have a seat. Everybody give them a hand. The USA, often what they do is they actually wait until they're at the Olympics and they see the times of the fastest runners because sometimes that shifts in the final weeks. And the guys who, the girls who have run the fastest in that week will be put on the relay team, which means they haven't had a whole lot of time to practice the handoff. They're the fastest people on the team, but they don't have a whole lot of experience of passing the baton. And you say, how hard could it be, right? I mean, you just have to hand it from one person to the other. And what we did this morning was a pretty simple handoff. But what they're doing is they're actually running. They build up their speed as that other teammate is coming around the corner so they can take it while they're running. They're in a rush. They're trying to shave seconds off. Mom says, let me just tell you, I think oftentimes the failure that we have in passing off the baton is we're in a rush. It takes time to pass off the baton. And in, we're in a race against the clock, but it's not, it's not that clock that we're often rushing for, right? We're often in a rush for other reasons. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he mentions Timothy, how there have been many spiritual blessings that have been handed off to him. And I want us to look at what has been handed down to Timothy in this passage of Scripture the first thing that Paul points out is he says, your genuine faith, in verse 5. He points out your genuine faith, which was in your grandmother and your mother, and I am convinced is in you also. Timothy had a genuine faith. And it's interesting to me that Paul doesn't just say faith, but he says a genuine faith. Friends, I think we're living in a time that makes it pretty clear that having religion or uh, a label, that's pretty meaningless. There must be a genuine faith. Nicole was talking about how she had this head knowledge. She had gone to church. She knew the right things to say. But there had to become a moment where it was her faith. It was her genuine faith. That church wasn't just something that she did because her mom and dad took her. It wasn't something that she could talk about because she had heard all of the lessons and knew the right words. But it had become hers. And Timothy's grandmother and mother had genuine faith, and they were able to pass that down to Timothy. And Paul could see in Timothy that there was a genuineness, that it was real, that it was personal. Timothy could only have a genuine faith by trusting in Christ himself. But what a blessing it was in his life that it had been encouraged in him and passed down to him by his mother and his grandmother. I don't know about you, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, great-grandparents. I would love to leave my kids a million dollars one day. That would be great, right? There's one key problem with that. I don't have a million dollars to leave them. It's kind of hard for me to pass down what I don't possess. 
And it is impossible for us to pass down a genuine faith if we don't possess one. I think there is this, there's this, there's angst, this frustration that kids today don't do this or don't do that. That culture today doesn't value the things of God. And, and I agree that there is a major shift in our culture today, but I don't think the problem is here today. I think the problem is a generation ago when a faith wasn't genuine. And it's hard to pass down a faith that's disingenuous, that's not real. You can't pass down what you don't possess, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. And listen, we love that you bring your children to church. We love that we have the opportunity to train them and teach them in classes. We love that they're participating in the gathering today. But as Nicole said, like we can partner with you, but you must be passing down the faith at home. And to pass that down, you must possess it. Timothy's testimony is the result, in part, of his grandmother's testimony and his mother's testimony. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing that their genuine faith had such an impact on him. Listen, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad. Having faith in Christ will change your life. And that's reason enough. But having faith in Christ and a genuine faith will have an impact on your children and your grandchildren. Timothy had a genuine faith handed down from his mother and his grandmother, and he also had the gift of God laid on him through the laying on of hands by Paul. Paul says, stir up the gift of God in you which was given to you, laying on of my hands. And Paul's referring to a literal moment where they would have gathered uh, in a church service and there would have been a commissioning. And we do this today when we ordain someone or we commission a missionary. We lay hands on them and pray over them. But that literal laying on of hands is figurative of something much greater. We don't lay hands on someone and say, all right, you're good. We've had the magic ceremony. You're now totally equipped to do ministry. And the laying on of Paul's hands, there would have been a literal moment that that happened, but it's a picture of something broader that had happened in Timothy's life. He had become an apprentice of Paul's. He had traveled with him on missionary journeys. He had watched him stand in front of synagogues and proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, how many of you have ever been to the doctor, right? How many of you have ever gotten a shot at the doctor, right? Moms and dads too, right? We probably all experienced that. When I was, when I was a boy, I think I was like nine or ten, um, I spent six days in the hospital. I had a ruptured spleen. Um, doctors were kind of on the fence of whether they should remove it or they should let it heal. They let me stay in the hospital for six days while it healed on its own. I didn't have to have surgery. And those six days that I spent in the hospital, I spent them at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville. How many of you have heard of Vanderbilt Hospital? Vanderbilt Hospital is a pretty prestigious hospital. It's connected to Vanderbilt University. 
And every time a doctor would come in uh, to treat me, whenever nurses would come in to check my vitals or to take blood, there was the doctor or the nurse, and then there was someone else just off to their right or left shoulder. Because Vanderbilt is a learning hospital. It's a hospital where there are students doing their med school, and they're learning in the classroom, but then they go and make rounds with the nurses and the doctors to get real-world experience with children and patients who are sick. One of our values here at Faith Church is that we want to be a learning hospital. We want to be a learning church. We want to be a place where young men and women can have the opportunity, not just for someone to say a prayer over them in a special ceremony, but for them to be apprenticed in ministry, to to go through the real-world experience of doing ministry and, and serving. But we not only want that for people in ministry, we want that for people in following Jesus. We want them to be discipled. And a disciple is someone who follows along their teacher. Jesus invited the disciples to come and do life with him, and for three years, that's what they did. They, they watched him have real-world experiences, and we want that for everyone here at Faith Church. We want you to be alongside someone who can be a mentor as you learn to follow Jesus. We want that for your children, too. We want Jesus to be so real in your life that they can be apprenticed by their mom, their dad, in their own home in the ways of Christ. Timothy had a genuine faith passed down to him by his mother and his grandmother, and he had this gift of God passed from God through Paul, through his ministry apprenticeship. But most importantly and ultimately, Timothy inherited a grace and calling from God. In verses 7 to 10, we see that Paul says that God gave you grace. He saved you, saved us, and gave us a holy calling. Bottom line, mom and dad, um, no matter how good we are, at, we are at Faith Church, at doing kids ministry and partnering with you, and no matter how good a job you do at home, raising your children and teaching them about Jesus, None of us can save them. Only Jesus can do that. None of us can pay the price for their sin. None of us can change their lives. Only Jesus can do that. That's why it's so important that at some part of their journey, some point in their journey, their faith becomes their own. Because they won't go to heaven on mom and dad's faith or their church's faith. Timothy grew up with his mother and grandmother having a genuine faith. He had the opportunity to be apprenticed in ministry by Paul, but it was Jesus who saved Timothy's soul and Jesus that gave him a holy calling. Uh, I'm going to bet that every mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa here in the service, that you've got big plans for your grandchildren, right? Like, your kids don't know it, but, like, you have plans for them to be a star in Major League Baseball or go to medical school or whatever, right? And probably the next 18 years or less is going to be an experience of you figuring out your kid doesn't have the same plans for their life as you, right? 
They don't want to do life the way that you were hoping they were going to do life. And that can be frustrating, can be disappointing, can be dismaying. And there's probably going to be arguments along the way about why this is better or why that's better and why that's really not a great idea. Moms, dads, let me tell you, there's no one who has a better plan for your child's life than Jesus. Paul goes on to say that we are saved through his son according to his unique purposes, which have been since the beginning of the world. Every, probably everybody here, you can remember the moment that you found out you were going to have a child, you were going to have a grandchild, right? Long before you knew about that child's arrival, that grandchild's arrival, long before you were born from the foundations of the world, God had a plan, a unique purpose for your family, for your child, for your grandchild, and the very best plan for their life, the very, very best path for their life is a path of following Jesus. What was handed down to Timothy? A genuine faith from his mother and his grandmother. A ministry apprenticeship with Paul. But most importantly and ultimately, saving grace and a holy calling from God. That's what we hope and pray for each child here. And it may be that you're here today and you recognize through hearing Nicole's story or through the message today that you have not experienced that saving grace. God wants that for you. He's wanted that for you since the very moment you were born and even before. And he's got a holy calling for your life. And Faith Church, we just want to help you connect to him. And you can experience that. Would you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Our team's going to come and lead us in a, a song of response, an opportunity for us to respond to what it is the Lord has done in our hearts. And it might be that you're just, you're blessed because you've, You've been encouraged by seeing the children participate today. It might be that you're encouraged to to hear from God's word or something that we've sung about. But it might be that you're here today and you recognize there's a need in your heart and life for genuine faith. That if you're going to pass it down, you must possess it first. That you need that grace and calling from the Lord. Whatever the need of your heart is, I'm going to encourage you after I pray and the team begins to lead us in song, that you respond to the Lord. I'm praying there at your seat, you're coming to the altar, where we will be happy to pray with you. Father, thank you for this time, this, this opportunity we've had to gather with the children, for them to be with us in this worship gathering, to see them worship, but also for them to see us worship. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for each of their lives, Lord, that you want to do great and, and, and wonderful works in their hearts to give them joy and peace and hope and to help them make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, I ask that you'd work in their hearts, but also in moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, siblings. Lord, that we would all see our need for your grace and your hope. We pray these things in your name. I'm just going to ask you to remain in the spirit of prayer as the team leads us. And as God works in your heart, I give you the opportunity to respond to him.